Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today we talk about health and fitness, but we do it at a whole nother level with my good friend, Shannon Brenton. Shannon Brenton is the go-to naturopath, nutritionalist for many people that you have probably heard of. Anthony Mundine, Kelly Slater, and the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the year of their win, just to name a few. And in this conversation, we talk about intermittent fasting, which I know so many people have been curious about. And trust me when I say this, if you're interested in health, if you're interested in performance, if you're interested in nutrition and intermittent fasting check this one out this is one of my favorites Shannon Brenton, mate, how are you? Good, mate. Thank you for having Great me. Great to have you here, pal. You've just flown um, down fresh from the goalie. Yeah, mate. 4.30 get up, 6 a.m. Yeah. flight, and uh, just as long in the car from uh, mascot to here in the traffic. Well, at least it doesn't matter how much beauty sleep you get, mate. Exactly. You still look just the same. Thank you. Mate, um, look, you and I have been connected for some time now, but for people who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of a blurb about you know who you are and what, what gives you the pedigree that you do? Yeah, sure. Well, I've been a uh, clinical nutritionist and naturopath for uh, 17 years now. So I've worked full time over that period of time, 12 to 15 people a day. So I've got, you know, nearly 65,000 people under my belt now. Uh, I specialize in uh, in two peak areas. The first one is chronic disease, which You're is right. obviously the uh, the the end result of a life not well lived mm. um, a lot of the time. And the other area is human performance. So um, without me even knowing what this podcast was about today, kind of secret squirrel. It all yeah, it all sorts of it all sorts of uh, falls into into place, but. Yep. In human performance, um, looking um, at performance more for athletes, you know, and and high end people who yep. are and not just pro athletes, but amateurs, people who are wanting to take uh, their performance to the next level. So that'd be about twenty percent of my work, and then eighty percent of the work is picking up the pieces from uh, from a whole host of chronic diseases, right through from all your inflammatory, uh, autoimmune diseases, um, a lot of cancer, HIV, uh, post viral syndromes, female reproductive disease, infertility, all those fun subjects which yeah, are right. which are my uh, my passions quite broad you know it's interesting we, we you, you mentioned you know you work with a lot of professional athletes um but you know you've done a lot of work with me as well yeah but i am curious to know if you, that's who i was talking about oh you were of course <laughs> I, I know there was a glint in your eye when you looked at me when you said you know professional, professional athlete pretty sure i have been paid to arm wrestle at one stage in my life but um what i'm curious to know is are you starting to see uh people adopt you know professional athlete ath- athlete habits and routines from a nutrition and a health perspective, just to optimize their performance in, in business as an example. Yeah, for sure. And and I think the the big thing here is is the you know, the WWW dot people are exposed to more these yep. days than what they were certainly at the beginning of my career where, you know, it was like just the beginning of dial up and <laughs> no one was really into it and, and really researching um, these things. Health's obviously become a really big um, area of exploration as yeah, well right. for a lot of people. So um, you know, people now are asking questions they weren't asking <clears throat> beforehand. Um, people are exposed to new concepts, exposed to new diets, exposed to new ideologies and methodologies and the like that, once again, they just weren't exposed to. Um, people mm. are asking more questions now. So uh, for sure, you know, the average punter uh, now is looking at themselves as um, possibly extraordinary is probably the way I'd look at it. Do you yep. know what I mean? Um, just because uh, I'm not a pro athlete doesn't mean I can't be a shit hot amateur athlete. Yeah, right. Uh, just because I'm not a pro athlete and don't get paid to do this doesn't mean I can't still work 40 hours a week and still do my passion eight to 10 hours a week and mm. do a bloody good job at it. So for sure, look, I think a lot of people are 
are, uh, are really pushing the boundaries of their own self-exploration. Uh, and they're asking a lot of questions now and they're demanding um, answers, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of the time, like validated, scientifically validated answers. And that's where a lot of it now is coming in. Science is really, um, I wouldn't say stepping up, but science is coming more into people's uh, limelight now where, you know, the average person is now looking at studies and statistics yeah. and, you know, peer-reviewed um, studies and the like and, and starting to, you know, put two and two together and yeah, influence it into their own life, sometimes successfully and, and you know, a bulk of the time non-successfully too, yeah. I'll say. Look, I'm very passionate about inspiring business people to, you know, look at what you do, yep. especially when it comes to performance, because when we look at what, what we do as business people, we are essentially like professional athletes, but our discipline may not necessarily be in the realm of athletics. Yeah. It's almost like a, you know, someone who goes to the Olympics for, you know, for skeet shooting, you know, they're not necess- they're not really an athlete, mm. but they're performing at a really high level in a particular discipline. And I think, you know, as business people, we owe it to ourselves to really get our, our shit tuned into gear so that we really can explore our potential at the highest level in business. 100%. And you know what? It's like my catchphrase with, you know, using sport nutrition, quote unquote, as, yep. as an example or a topic, I should say. My catchphrase has always been that sport nutrition is just great regular nutrition timed appropriately. Yeah, right. You know? Yep. So when, you know, when I cross correlate, um, you know, that between the need of an athlete and the need of a business person, it's not really all that indifferent, mm. you know. Um, obviously, you're not looking at like lactate threshold and recovery and the like, but, you know, looking at it from a position of cognitive function, looking at it as a benefit also from blood sugar stabilization, giving that person um, energy and, and capability across the day to work more efficiently and effectively, get a better outcome. Yep. It's exactly the same thing. I would even throw in their recovery, like, because I know for me with the schedule that I have, you know, to back it up day after day. Which is stupid. Day. You yeah. know, I know I need to time my recoveries because yeah. if I don't, then you know, then I actually burn out. You yeah. know, I think it's fair to say that you know, health is one of those words. If you had you know thirty people in a room and you ask them all to define what good health is, you're mm. going to get thirty different answers. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you say, with the the advent of the internet and access to information, you know, yeah, we are more educated, but some people are a lot more confused. Yes. How would you define good health? What is it? I'll tell you how I wouldn't define it first. Yeah, um, when you start looking at the definition of health, you know, it's 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 clinically looked at as an absence of pathology, okay? So it's being able to, you know, look at a, a, any human body, um, whether that's, you know, just through um, physical palpation and presentation, whether that's through um, CT or MRI imaging or X-ray, et cetera, et cetera, not finding growths, not finding abnormalities or anything that would be um, deferring, um, you know, organ function, yeah, okay? Right. Um, then looking at it from a serum perspective, it's looking at a clear set of blood. So making sure that everything falls within the parameters that pathology tells us is normal. Yep. Okay. So uh, looking at the impact of, you know, the environment of lifestyle, of nutrition, of stress, of all these things on, you know, liver and kidney function, red and white blood cells, inflammatory markers, et cetera, et cetera. This is what is clinically considered health. My great problem with that, Kerwin, is that I've spent the last 17 years specializing in the people that don't fall within those boundaries. Yeah, right. Mm. So the people that will come to me and say, mate, I'm just so exhausted, you know, I can hardly keep my eyes open at lunchtime. I'm, I'm like not just wanting but requiring things like Red Bull now and, you know, the the – 
three o'clock Twix or something just in order to sort of keep myself going. Um, I've had ongoing headaches now for months. No one can explain it. I'm requiring, you know, um, analgesics just to be able to get through the day. Um, you know, um, unexplained rashes, you know, things that just interfere with your life, itchy skin, things like this. And then, of course, because uh, I treat a lot of women, it's, you know, a lot of menstrual irregularities, you know, a lot of poor women that are having, you know, um, two weeks out of every month just feeling like shit, you know, um, all the premenstrual symptoms, you know, of headaches, breast distension, breast pain, nausea, um, mood swings, sugar cravings, etc. And then, of course, you know, the heavy periods, the painful periods, the clotting and all the things that affect their life. And mm. these people will go to a normal structured health physician, i.e. your GP, um, you know, wanting to look at their health the topic of today's conversation and all these markers will show that they are actually healthy yeah right but they feel like shit mm. you know so when you start looking at what is health uh and you put me on the spot this is a big question <laughs> but uh I, yeah that's the most important thing for me what yep. isn't it yep. and, and and that's what it's not you know yeah, so right. so many people with these these symptoms walking around with their quality of life and i really want to highlight those three words, yep. quality of life, people become so used to living like shit. Mm. They become used to having an energy that's two or three or four out of 10. They get used to those headaches. They get used to that itchy skin. They get used to the IBS symptoms. They get used to all these things which are not pathological in nature. Yep. And therefore can't actually be resolved with a prescription medication and therefore never given the time of day. So for me, it's health is more about how do you look? How do you feel? You know, mm. how, how are your daily functions? How are your organ functions? How are your monthly functions yep. for, for women? You know, what do you what do your eyes tell you? You know, do you wake up and they're bloodshot? You know, yep. if you've got yellowing of your scleras. So it really is individual. Hundred you know, percent. It's much like a fitness. Of course plan, it is. You know, it's, it's individual in nature. Absolutely. But um, I also, you know, for me, you know, good health to me is really the ability to do what you want, when you want, for as long as you want. Of course. Um, you know, and, I, and and what I'm seeing and what I'm curious to know from you is what are you starting to see now, you know, when it comes to the shift in people's health? What, what are the biggest shifts that you're seeing? Well, you're seeing new pathologies. Yep. You're seeing things like Crohn's disease. Um, is that becoming a lot more popular? Oh, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like asthma now. Yep. You know, so something that you know wasn't and Crohn's even, disease is an extension of IBS, which is just well, it's an inflammatory bowel yep. disease. Yep. Yeah, so you know, it's actually it's it's far heavier than that. But yep. it's an autoimmune response where the yeah, body's right. attacking the, generally the terminal ileum and the large bowel, and it causes pain. It causes melina, which is blood in your stool, mucus. Yep. It's quite nasty and causes fatigue and a lot of other you know relatable symptoms. But that's that's just one example of, of a condition which wasn't diagnosable 30 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So um, we're looking at some of these conditions. We're looking at a whole bunch of new things, um, you know, like MTHFR issues and, you know, other things that uh, aren't new but are new to medical science and being looked at and viewed now uh, in a different light. So, you know, we're finding people are becoming more educated, um, you know, holistic doctors, for one, are looking for different things, trying mm. to look once again at this these quality of life factors based on how the person looks, feels and expresses themselves during an initial consultation. Um, what do I find a lot of now? 
Seriously, I just find so much um, mitochondrial inefficiency. So, so much, so many demands for more energy, so much more fatigue than I've, than I've ever seen before. And it doesn't really matter, you know, what person steps into a clinical setting with me. When you say mitochondrial demand, for those people who may not yep. be able to connect the dots, what yeah, does so, that mean? So, the mitochondria is an organelle within everyone's cells, so yep. a little machine that, that produces bioavailable cellular energy. Yep. So, it makes everything happen. It allows yep. your heart to, to beat without you even being aware of it. It allows you to run up and down you know, the peer here or whatever you want to do. But it's it's ultimately responsible for everything. Yep. And, you know, at the basis of most diseases will come some kind of mitochondrial dysfunction, you know. Um, so things like cardiomyopathy, for instance, you start getting quite significant um, mitochondrial dysfunction. The body just can't produce enough oomph to actually regulate its own functions appropriately anymore. And these people will keep existing. They'll just feel awful yep. and life becomes a real struggle for them. So, you know, I'm finding that a lot of fatigue, you know, a lot of fatigue, it doesn't matter who it is, you know, someone comes in with, you know, they want to lose weight or they've got, you know, some sort of allergy or a food sensitivity and they're often dealing with some level of fatigue as well. Uh, a lot of stress, people are more stressed than ever before. Um, people are less connected than ever before. Mm. Um, people are less purposeful than ever before. So now you start to get away from those, you know, physiological standpoints of what is health and you move more into those psycho-emotional and mental parameters where people just aren't feeling right, they're not feeling connected, they're not happy and who they are um, a lot of that you know so yeah, right. and I could talk all day about what I see but I might see you know six or seven different things in a day but a lot of them will always come back to I've I've got no energy or my yeah. energy is wavering across the course of the day my sleep's poor basic stuff and it's interesting when you look at the the um uh, the business of energy, you know, yeah. caffeine, uh, coffee, mm, billion uh, dollar drink, industries, ma- multi multi billion dollar industries. Yep. Uh, but what's interesting is most people don't realize that with good health, good nutrition, you can actually generate more energy than a fucking Red Bull can provide. Of course, you can and more energy than than well, a shot of coffee. And, and energy, you know, like a Red Bull's no different than a muffin. It just yep. gives you that that yep. that spike in energy. You know, it just runs your adrenal glands into the ground. Um, you know, and it serves a purpose at certain times. You know, mm. so um, I don't look at food as good nor bad Kerwin it's just it's either appropriate or inappropriate yep. and things like, like you know that. having a having a red bull on a friday night with your mates with some vodka because that's what you like the taste of now it's not wouldn't be my choice for an alcoholic beverage but i can kind of get my head around it on occasion but it, it's when these things start to become a daily requirement mm. okay and not even a habit i'm talking a requirement and you know what i mean by that yep. right so um got to have that coffee before i can function you know or, or got to do this before i can function you look at truck drivers that can't do their job without amphetamines and and these sorts of things so you know we we live in a culture though where this is it's bred into us it's a socialization Mm -hmm. uh, and that's partly our problem you know you look at you know codrill soldier on you know um you got a virus your virus is telling you to rest Um, people are losing that communication with their body the body's saying slow the fuck down go horizontal for a week um other people would just like to take two tablets and Soldier on. So it's, it's interesting. We talk about energy because without it, we, we're fucking useless. Like yeah. we literally are bags of skin. Yeah. Uh, you know, with some lumps inside. The more energy we have, the more output we can provide, and the yep. more out we can provide, you know, the greater potential return that we can get, whether it be in our sport or a relationship, or you know, or, or even in a business, as an example. So, what is the biggest mistake that you see people make when it comes to producing more energy? 
it's really multifactorial. Um, you know, I'll start with the most basic thing. Yep. It's it's lack of consciousness around sleep and the sleep cycle. Mm. Um, you know, that's why they use you know uh, sleep deficiency <laughs> as a torture technique. Um, there's nothing that will cruel you like you know just consistent poor sleep quality. So you know, I find a lot of people will you know particularly in these days um, they'll do their work day. Being efficient or inefficient, it's 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 irrelevant at this point. But then come home and wire themselves on you know too much social media and you know too many gaming you know um, apparatuses and the like, um, switching their nervous system on, telling their body that it's time to do more of this, um, stimulating more of these you know um, uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine, which are actually winding us up rather than slowing us down in a preparation cycle for sleep. And you know, using sleep as an example, I always say to people. You know, you don't just get out of bed in the morning and go to work. You know, you get out of bed, you know, and let's break it right down. You get out of bed, you do a wee, <laughs> you brush your teeth, you get dressed. You know what I mean? There's a yep. process that's going on here. Yep. Even if you're out of the door in 10 or 15 minutes, there's still a process. And it's, I say to people at nighttime, there still needs to be that same process where we wind into our day. We have a day. Yep. We need to be able to wind out of that day. Yep. And it's through these habitual mechanisms that our, our body actually knows, ah, this is my time to actually rest now. It's actually time to switch on that parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of what I've had on all day while well, been stressed and been functional and been training and been to the gym and all these these things and it's time to focus now on the digestion of food and it's time now to focus on the restoration and the you know the um, the turnover and repair of, of our cells you know um, as a result of this the body will when well rested will wake up and be very functional the next day so you know not trying to teach people how to suck eggs but you know you ask what's one of the major things i find that leads to energy drains and, yep. and it will be a, a lack of sleep and it's not the fact that it's lack of sleep per se it's a lack of um protocol around sleep yeah two or three days of poor sleep you know during travel or you know during one of one of your events <laughs> for instance <laughs> it's neither here nor there yep. you know but when this winds up into weeks and months just just take a just take a first time mum you know who's got a child and goes through that level of sleep deprivation from having to get up and breastfeed mm. she is useless mm. and she knows it and you know it mm. everyone knows it and that's what a lot of business people are running around like like that mother who's yep. just been breastfeeding all night and just feels like shit the next yep. morning that now has to go and perform. Yeah, but instead of a baby, they've got a startup or they've got a business. You know, earlier. That's their baby. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, again, so much performance is, is rooted in the ability to produce energy that we can direct into the, the pursuits yep. that we do every day. And that's that's one example. Yep. Sleep's one example. Okay. You know, so moving on from there, I know you're dying to ask about nutrition. And no, the, no, and no, go. What, what's this, what do you, what, you said there was three. So you said sleep. So, so sleep is a primary factor, yep. okay, that will cause energy drains. Pre-existing um, ailments is another one. Yep. So anything that winds the body into a pro-inflammatory state. So, you know, long-term continued um, allergy, for instance, um, you know, food allergy where people aren't even aware that they've got a food allergy, but, you know, they all find in the hours that follow the ingestion of a certain food, it runs them down, they're tired. Um, you know, this whole gut microbiome is setting up a, an inflammatory um, immune response. And once again, when the body feels like it's under invasion, it obviously goes into the process of, you know, let's attack where the invasion is. 
mm. which means it leaves the rest of the body open. So you'll, you won't find anything that will cause energy deficits more like pre-existing conditions. So if there's anyone listening who, you know, has like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or, you know, or has, um, you know, a multiple sclerosis or has an underlying allergy or has, you know, some sort of you know, autoimmune condition or pre-existing condition like that that isn't well managed, yep. isn't well... Even just basic inflammation? 100%. Yep. 100%. Yeah, very, very exhausting because mm. what does it do long term? It, it results in our body having to produce cortisol all the time just in, a, in an effort to downregulate mm. it. And then as, as a long-term effect of that, we get into this state of adrenal insufficiency where the body is, is just run down. And because of the heightened state of cortisol, this causes insulin resistance and the insulin resistance makes us fat and tired and just sets up this dirty, big, bloody snowball of... Of, um, of endocrine yeah, dysfunction. Right. And then outside of that, we move into obviously nutritional deficits. So, yep. um, you know, if people have got an underlying, um, say, uh, mineral deficiency, as an example, so low B12, um, low iron levels, um, you know, issues with magnesium, um, you know, high copper, low zinc, all these sorts of states will cause, once again, a cellular defect, keeping in mind that minerals actually turn on enzymatic processes okay so you look at like something like magnesium okay when you're stressed your body runs through it like no tomorrow when you're stressed your body chews up b vitamins like they don't exist and vitamin c vitamin c is food for the adrenal glands b vitamins help us to derive energy from carbohydrate do you know what i mean mm. so when we're under load and just pushing 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 our body is is exhausting these resources that actually allow us to take structured energy from our food and drink and this is where it's important that people realize that just because you put food in your mouth and you put drink in your mouth, it doesn't mean it becomes part of you. Mm. <laughs> you got to get that shit into the cells. Yeah, right. <clears throat> You've got to be able to digest yep. that food appropriately yep. and actually take the nutrition from it. Um, and, you know, heightened stress and these things will, will diminish that likelihood of occurring for you. But, you know- Because a lot of people don't realize from the moment you experience a stressful event, cortisol is in the bloodstream within, I think it's within about seven minutes, your digestion is, is, is affected. Turned off. Yeah. You know, if I put a gun to your head, you'll shit your pants right now. And that's just an effect. And that's not because you're so scared. It's because the body is having to put its energy to where it's necessary. You need to kick, scream, punch and get out of here. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So stress doesn't always need to be that acute or that intrinsic that we'd yep. be like, oh, well, you know, like my life's not like that. Yep. No one's got a gun to my head. But the problem with stress is people forget what stress is, Kerwin. Mm. You know, people are like, oh, no, I'm not stressed. Mm. <laughs> well, once upon a time, Breaks stress was a fucking saber-toothed tiger at the, at, the cave, at the cave wall. That's right. Now most people are stressing because, you know, they, they didn't get, uh, you know, more than 20 likes on their Instagram That's right. picture, you know. But, you know, even at a, at a higher level, you, you know, you ask uh, Octo Mum if she's stressed, you know, she'll probably tell you she's not because she's adapted to it mm. and this is what we do we adapt to our environment so sometimes it's about actually being able to step back from it you know and go okay well you know what's my body telling me and this is where this whole process of being uh having a heightened sensitivity and, and a heightened level of communication to what your body's saying yep. becomes very important because if you've got continual long-term energy defects well there's a problem and you'd best find out what it is What's the most solid and sound base nutrition required to perform at a really high level and have enormous amounts of energy? All right. Well, um, I'm going to answer that real simply because yep. that's like you've just opened up a massive can of worms. Well, I want to try and keep it contextualized because I know people, yeah, there's a lot of people who are going, well, we, you know, we, we hear so much about the importance of nutrition yeah. and nutrients and then yep. we have these macro things and these micro yes. things. 
Fuck. So how would you simplify it in a way that we can understand what a macro is, what yeah. a micro is, yeah. and really simply, what the fuck do I eat in order to perform it like a, yeah. you know, like a- I'll get on to macros and micros in a tick. I'd say the, the, the first thing when you start talking about like what is it that builds the backbone of an appropriate nutritional protocol for people that are after performance, be yep. that in business or on the paddock or wherever it might be, it, it will be a, a reduction, like heavy reduction or complete cessation of processed food. Mm. Processed food is is really the greatest problem we have in in today's day and age, mm. uh, and everyone's guilty of it, mm-hmm. and everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, but people become so reliant upon, you know. Like, and I'd say to people, next time you go to Coles or Woolies or Aldi or wherever you like to shop. When you're standing there at the register and you're about to put everything up on the little conveyor belt thing there, just look in your trolley, you know? Tell me how much of that is in a box, is in a tin, is, you know, canned, et cetera, et cetera. Check the use-by date on that, you know? Just know that these things are are produced in order to maximize taste and maximize the expiry date. You know, that's what, that's what food... Um, commercial food production is about, you know? Mm. How do we make it tasty? Uh, how do we make it slightly addictive? And how do we make sure that it's got two years on the shelf so we can sell more of it to wholesalers and don't have to worry about you know, when the end date is? Yep. You know, this, they're in business yep. too. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So business is business. So um, reduction in processed food is absolutely paramount. And and when people start looking at, oh, you know, should I be paleo or, you know, or, you know, like right now the vegan diet's getting a massive push. You know what I mean? Should I be vegan? I watch forks over knives and, you know, I saw what they do to animals and, and whatever. You got to understand that what it is about veganism um, that helps it along is not necessarily the fact that it's like meat versus no meat. It's, it's, it's the fact that when you, like, when you eat your animal now, Kerwin, when was it killed? Mm. Do you know? So just through the processing of the way everything's happening now, back in the day, you know, we shot something and, you know, we, we grilled it up and ate it. These days, you know, how old is your steak when you have it? Where did it come from? What kind of life did it have? What was mm. it fed on? You know, what was that processing like? What, how, how was its level of fear? What was running through its body at the time that it died? Yep. You know, yep. what's gone into its flesh? You All know? factors which affect not only the quality of the meat, but also the hormone levels. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yep. So- And I just, I just, I just want to make this known. I stand for plants. Yeah. Because no one else does. Yeah. All these vegans out there <laughs> fucking mow them down plants, eating yeah, vegetables right, and pulling them out of the ground like they have no feelings. It has yeah. been scientifically proven that plants have feelings too. That's right. Just saying that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, lack of processed food becomes very, very important, you know? So I'm a big fan of people being able to produce their own food from raw ingredients, mm. you know? And you can get all on your high horse about, oh, this was grown locally and, you know, this is sustainably Organic. sourced and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's less about that. Okay, that's another discussion. It's less about that and more about the fact that, you know, it is just less processed. Yeah, that's a big part. So moving on now to macros and micros. I know this is a source of confusion. So micro minerals are basically um, relating to um, vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. Okay, so these are the things which are catalyzing or switching on cellular processes and allowing for those macros to be moved into the right places and to. Al- Give the the body and the cells what it needs for repair, for optimal turnover, for you know protein manufacture, for you know doing the things cells do. I don't want to bore people with too much of that, but when you look then at the macronutrients, the macronutrients are obviously the foods themselves. So it's your proteins, it's your fats, and it's your carbohydrates. Okay, so micro minerals are something that. Um, 
people have less control over with food ingestion these days just through growing techniques and soil deprivation and a lot of these things that are a problem for us now. But Basically, though, when you're eating, you know, lots of green leafies and, you know, lots of colored vegetables, you're getting a lot of these plant compounds, you're getting a lot of these antioxidants through different colors, you know, you're getting your carotenoids and things from like your sweet potato and your carrots, you're getting your, your oligometric paranthocyanidins, which are a strong antioxidant molecule from like your your, um, your blueberries and, and, you know, pomegranates and strawberries and things like this. Uh, you're getting, you know, a lot of, you know, like chlorophyll and uh, sulforaphane and indole 3 carbonate and other really important compounds from things like cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and, and the like. So I feel like I'm learning a new language right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's important people know these yeah, things, you know yeah. what I mean? But but generally what I'm saying to people here is it all comes back to eating a broad variety, yep. you know? It's all about the colour. It's all about the fact that it's fresh. It's all about the fact that, it, you know, it wasn't pulled out of the ground and, and, you know, frozen straight away. And is this where some people get health wrong? Like they think, well, as long as I'm eating, you know, coloured veggies and everything else and proteins and fat, but if they're eating the same, thing every yep. single day because that's what a lot of these people do like right yep. they get in this whole meal prep scenario and i'll just have chicken and fucking broccoli and yep. or fish and broccoli or fish and salad every day mm. is it, it like lack of variety is a problem yes there we go okay. and, and and i'll give you an example of that because uh, it can not only become a problem with nutrient absorption but it also can create allergies as well right of course yep yep but i'll give you an example um and look, this, I've, this is a study that I knew of a long while back, so I can't quote a source or anything. I can't even quote a time. It was about eight or 10 years ago. But there was uh, a study done between the American diet and the Swiss diet. And the reason the study was done was it was found that the Swiss diet was higher in saturated fat than the American diet. But the cardiovascular mortality rate was significantly lower, like didn't even compare. And obviously, you know, looking at this whole lipid hypothesis of the fact that saturated fat's evil and fat kills you, which is obviously, you know, sort of in the process of being debunked now, um, they did a cross-correlation of these two diets and found that there was, in fact, more saturated fat in the Swiss diet at the time. But the thing about the Swiss diet that led to much lower rates of cardiovascular disease was the fact that they had a massive, massive, massive source of nutrient intake. So mm. yes, they ate the pastries and, and and the like, and you know a lot of like cream and these sorts of things, but they ate from a, a myriad of food groups, you know? And you know, what what this does is each food is kind of providing something that combats the effect of something else. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, their diet as a result was higher in fiber. You know, when you look at something like um, like bowel disease, for instance, bowel cancer, you know, one of the you know, top five, top three, as a matter of fact, um, biggest killers of, of people in Western society, uh, it's directly correlated to you know, an overconsumption of, you know, red meat and processed meats and also to a low fiber diet. So, you know, if you're having a whole bunch of saturated fat and you're having quite low fiber intake, you got some trouble going on, mm. you know? So that was just one example of showing a cross-correlation between two countries that the country that had the broadest ingestion of food groups. So they're eating, you know, like all the all the vegetables, different colors, you know, different shapes and sizes and all the rest of it. They were having seafood, they were having 
grains, they were having, you know, red meat, they were having chicken, they were having the whole deal, but there was a broad parameter of what they were using. Um, you know, you look at America, a lot of their um, a lot of their foods were just cooked in this study in cottonseed oil and canola oil. Over in uh, in the Swiss countries, there was a lot more, you know, extra virgin olive oil and macadamia nut oils and different oils, higher intake of polyunsaturated fats, giving them essential fatty acids mm-hmm. that a lot of the Americans were missing out on. And as a result, uh, a higher likelihood that their bodies would be um, creating some kind of pro-inflammatory event. Hmm. So how often should we then rotate our menu as an example? I'll tell you what, I I can only use me as an example because it's going to be easy for people to understand. But with dinners, for instance, I have six dinners on constant rotation. Yeah, right. And the reason why I do that is it makes my life easy. <laughs> Simple as that. Do you know what I mean? I do all the shopping for our family. So when I go to Coles or Woolies or wherever I'm going or to a farmer's market, I know exactly what I need. It doesn't change week in, week out. I can buy in bulk. I can get better quality produce at cheaper prices, etc. And we have six meals on ex- really tasty, extremely flavorsome, very, very um, nutritious that are on constant rotation. And, you know, you think six meals that all taste great. And it'd be like, hey, Kerwin, do you think you can have this once a week? Oh, absolutely. i have it five times a week. Do you mm. know what I mean? One of those sorts of meals that was just on constant rotation that once again, you can cook more. I can use that extra for like kids' lunches the next day or for our lunches the next day, whatever it might be. So it's all about trying to make life easy for people. Yep. I think the issue with food for people is the overwhelm in um, I want to do what's good for my body, but I also need to do what's good for my pocket and I need yeah. to do what's good for my lifestyle. Yep. The minute food becomes a stress, it's so easy to just go and get takeaway tie or, you know, grab that takeaway really sandwich. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So it needs to be something which is maintainable for people. It needs to be something that we have longevity in because, yep. you know, eating well for like a 30-day challenge, for instance, that's all well and good, but like that's just normal eating for me, yep. you know? And so when people get all pumped on doing a protocol that's short-term, those short-term protocols are generally put in place to inspire, mm. you know? It's to put an aspiration in place where people can go, wow, like I feel so much better doing this, but not only do I feel better, but I actually enjoy the food mm. and, and I might start to bring some of this now into what I do. You so know, it becomes and, a way of life. 100%. Yeah. Way of life. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So that, that's exactly what we're looking at here. But, you know, how do we structure our food? Well, structuring our food is looking at what does food give us? Mm-hmm. So when we start to look at just, for instance, fruit and vegetables, vegetables particularly are quite calorically low so they don't provide us a lot of calories so a calorie is just a unit of energy mm-hmm. so they don't give us a lot of energy but they give us a lot of those those um, plant-based compounds and minerals and vitamins that make our body use the macros more effectively so when i look at like my i have around sort of six to eight cups a day of, uh, of vegetables of all different sorts of colors and cooked all different sorts of ways as well i must say when i have them i don't even really look at them as a macronutrient source because my six to eight cups of of the ones I choose to eat, um, seriously, I'm, I'm I'm lucky. I'm lucky to get 50 or 60 grams of carbohydrate. Yep. Which, if we just work on 50, mate, my maths really is it's 200 calories. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's so obscure, it, it barely even needs to be kind of worked within my regime because yeah. I train so much and I'm active. You know, so I have those simply to get these plant compounds to make sure that my body's getting more of these mac- micronutrients that are absolutely necessary for cellular function. 
On top of that, macronutrients have specific use. So carbohydrates are just about energy. That's it. The body will use a carbohydrate food source as energy now, or it will stick it in the liver or skeletal tissue as glycogen and use it later, or it will stick it in fat stores as free fatty acids and use it later again. Okay, so it's just like a big funnel. Everything will just become sugar at the end of the day. Everything just becomes carbohydrate and glucose, which is a simple form of carbohydrate, is that simple use which our body uses effectively and efficiently mm. to produce energy, okay? But carbs just gives us energy. So when you come home from work uh, or you start, you'll start your day, for instance. So when you start your day with, you know, two bits of toast with, you know, butter and honey, for instance, well, that's, you know, a... a a massive energy intake. I'm not going to say whether that's good or bad right now, but that's an energy intake. And we're about to go and do things now that require energy. So on just on that simple level, it makes some sense. When we look at the end of the day, though, we come home, we are tired, okay? That mm. Twix bar didn't work too well. The coffees <clears throat> have just kind of fallen us on our ass again. And we come home and have a couple of bits of toast because it's easy, right? Toaster's there, there's the bread, put it down, throw a bit of jam on there. We're winding down for the night now. You know, we're, we're not going to go and do anything with this. So our body basically has that choice of do I use this for energy or do I store it? Mm. So for me and for a lot of other people um, who are, you know, considered experts in this space, carbohydrate is a, it's like a, a deserved macronutrient. You know, it's always a question of, do I require what it's giving me? Do I need the energy? Is, is it what my body is needing to work with right now? When you look at proteins, proteins are used also for energy. So the, the body can break protein down into carbohydrate. This is the benefit. And this is why a lot of people find they do really well on low-carb diets because the body can just break fats and and, uh, mm. and proteins down into carbohydrate any, anyway. So you're never actually void of carbohydrate. It just means the body has to go through a process called gluconeogenesis to find it elsewhere. Okay. So with protein, though, it's essentially Which being used- a lot of people call fat adaption. Is that right? No. No, fat, adapt no, fat, fat adaption. Well, gluconeogenesis um, will allow fat adaption, but it'll depend on you'd have to completely relinquish all glycogen stores right. for days before you get to the point where the body was going to actually want to use fat as yep. its prime source of fuel. Yeah, right. So for as long as you're putting carbohydrate in, the yep. body will always use it as, yep. as its preferred source. Yeah. Okay. So fat fat's like its its last reserve. It'll use if you know all hell's broken loose and there's nothing else to use there. Okay. So Protein is growth, repair, and restoration, though. It's giving our body that, that repair. And, you know, there is not an enzymatic process in the body that isn't protein-based, okay? Mm. All enzymes are protein, okay? All muscle tissue is protein, okay? Protein is a massive, massive, massive requirement in our body. But the problem is if you go on like a super low carbohydrate diet with a higher protein diet, well, the body will just utilize those amino acids from the protein breakdown process for energy, turning it back into sugar. So there always needs to be kind of a, a happy process where we can make sure that we can what we call protein spare. Okay, we want to be able to protein spare. We want our protein to be used for growth, repair, and restoration, energy right. stabilization, yep. rather than just being used because there's not one carbohydrate anywhere around to be used. Yeah, right. Okay, this is where a high-fat, low-carb, moderate-protein diet comes in for a lot of people. So what they'll do is they'll pull their carbs right back. They'll give their body a big hit of fat instead and reasonable amounts of protein. And once again, that has a protein-sparing effect. So this is where you'll become what you refer to as fat-adapted, okay? So the body will start to run into you know mild endogenous ketone states where it will break those fatty acids down stored in our fat 
cells yep. and it will utilize them as an energy source by converting them to a ketone body and then converting that ketone body into acetyl-CoA, which enters the Krebs cycle inside that mitochondria in the mm-hmm. cell and mm-hmm. just makes energy. Okay. And this is where, like for me, when we, when we look about becoming fat adapted and the ability to produce ketones on yep. a regular basis- yep. And burn and, and create and burn energy in this way. Is this an optimal way to perform? It's most definitely optimal. Yep. Um, without thinking of it as optimal or not optimal, what I will say is that <clears throat> it's guaranteed. Mm. Okay. Whereas when you play that carbohydrate game, it's like getting that sand hourglass yeah, and turning it upside down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now we start to run that risk of becoming hypoglycemic. Um, anyone with anxiety will know that their hypo, their anxiety will always be worse when their blood sugars shit themselves. Yep. Uh, and the problem I have particularly with business people um, playing that game and sort of having this up and down process of blood sugars high, blood sugars low, blood sugars high, blood sugars low, is that it's the business people that forget to eat. Mm. <laughs> or now I've got a meeting, you know, I, I can't eat or I've got to go out and, and, you know, and do a business meeting and it's at a bar and we're going to get on the piss instead of eat food. And these people then start to get into this state where their blood sugars are really destable uh, and they become very, very, very inefficient. So they're the people that are predominant carbohydrate burners. Yep. Okay. When, however, people are on a higher fat regime, the benefit of fat is it supplies double the calories more. So we're getting nine calories per gram of fat versus four calories per gram of carbohydrate or protein. Mm. So when we have a, a fat-rich meal, it's often a calorie-laden meal mm. as well. Okay, and it's efficient. It's very efficient, mm. 100%. And it's the reason why, you know, um, great white sharks eat seals, mm-hmm. you know? Um, people don't get eaten by great white sharks. They bite our leg off and go, oh, fuck, what's Spit this? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, they want to go after things that are really fat-rich. They love whale blubber. They love seals and that because if they've got to do a migration down south over to Africa or whatever, they're not going to eat for long periods of time appropriately. Mm-hmm. And so once again, it's just this is a creature thing now. We're creatures as well. Yep. They're just wanting to give themselves massive intake of calories as fast as possible so we can have this slow burn over a mm. long period of time. So that slow burn with fats still applies to people. Yep. So in the course of your day, you've got a reasonably long day, right? So down here in the city, most people are working eight to 12 hour days and that's a long burn. Most of these people are not taking um, food to work with them. So I can only assume that they're going to the takeaway shop or whatever. So uh, seriously, when I when I look at food, even today for me to come down here, I got up at half past four this morning, I got a 6 a.m. flight. I've prepared myself for this interview. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I might not get lunch today because I've got to haul from here straight to the airport and then get back up to the Gold Coast. So there is every likelihood that today I wasn't going to get to eat. So I prepare for that day. Mm. The amount of people who get up and go to work and there's never a thought about food, it, seriously, it blows my mind. <laughs> it completely blows my mind. Athletes don't leave that to chance, yeah. okay? Because they know, like, I've got to have, I've got to have that premium yep. in me to go and train, whereas the average business person runs the tank low and goes and grabs some E10. Yeah, right. So do we, as a, as a, I remember reading a study, and I think you might have even quoted it when we had you speak for the K2s, um, that you know, rats, the laboratory rats that were on a radically reduced caloric, a radically reduced caloric intake, in some cases were able to live, I think it was as long as 25% longer or Oh, for more. sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you get onto the subject of fasting and fasting extends 
Well, before we go for, to, to fasting, I, I want to ask this question because I, I, I've seen that there's a real psychology around the food industry that has been, you know, essentially we've been trained like monkeys to consume, Absolutely. you know, at particular times and, and you know, in particular quantities. Yeah. Um. And, and I've learned an enormous amount, you know, going through the intermittent fast, you know, being having been fasting, you know, seven to ten days at a time, as many as you know, sometimes up to twice a year since 2000, and then adapting to the intermittent fasting, I, I've become incredibly shocked at how much energy that can be produce with so little intake but to ask the question before we dive right into it is do we eat too much and do we eat too often most of the time yes yeah, food, food's become a comfort. Mm. You got to look at what food is for people. Like food is it's fuel. It's become a form of entertainment. Hundred really, percent. Yeah. yeah, you know, like we 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 love via food. We yeah. share stories over food. Mm. We reconnect via food. You know, um, so food is so much more to us than simple caloric intake. Yep. And and I love that. I got to say, um, but it becomes uh, a massive retardation for people that utilize it like that all the time mm. you know i'll utilize it the same way on a sunday morning you know i'll go and have pancakes with the wife and kids at a cafe you know um like i said food for me is is appropriate or not yeah not good or bad you know so i would never eat that sort of thing during the week but come the weekend if i wanted it i'd have it yeah right and you know we bond as well and the kids would have their baby chino and i'd let them have their marshmallow and things but they know you know after family day on sunday you don't ask for that shit the rest of the day. It's just it's just the way it is, yep. you know. So um, I don't like to scare people with food. Like, like I said before, the minute food becomes a stress, I lose people. Yep. So it's about being able to um, um, implore people with food to understand that they, they take their performance and their rate of efficiency, the same thing effectively, into their own hands yep. by what they put in their mouth. But you've also got to put a high value on your own performance in order to really make the shift. Because I know for me, you know, it's been since last year, I now eat um, probably three days a week, I'm eating once a day. Yep. You know, the other two days a week, I may be eating twice a day and there's at least once a week and sometimes more mm-hmm. where I'm not eating for 24 hours at a time. Yep. Now, what's really interesting, and we'll go into the science about it in a minute, is first of all, efficiency. I don't eat breakfast. And in most cases, you know, if I'm not going to eat, uh, if I'm only going to have one meal, I won't eat lunch, mm-hmm. which means that I can get up at 4.30 in the morning and I can literally power through until I come home at four o'clock in the afternoon to pick up my son mm. without having to, and again, this might, you, you might be saying, well, fucking okay, man, this is not necessarily a good thing. You know, I can go back to back, you know, literally as long as I'm hydrating, yep. as long as I take, a, you know, maybe a little bit of ketones. Yep. And as long as I'm, um, again, the key thing for me is hydrating. I, I can just keep going. Mm. I can just keep going and, and not only maintain high levels of energy, but also clarity as well. Mm. This is so fucking counterintuitive for most, because most people go, you know, if I go 30 minutes past, you know, one o'clock, I'm starting to get a headache. Yeah. So how is it that, you know, that some of us can perform on very little food yep. and other people just freak out at the fucking idea? And what's the science behind it? How yep. can we understand the science in a way that'll empower us to want to look at food differently to maybe consider, you know, intermittent fasting as, a, as an well, option? Well, for you, there's a couple of factors there to consider. The first one is you've done this for a long time. Yep. And I know when you've headed off to Thailand and done, you know, seven, 10 day retreats without eating at all and juice fasting and stuff. So, you know, you number one emotionally know what to expect. Yep. Okay. A lot of people stress out mm. mentally. Fuck, I haven't eaten breakfast, you know, or, or, or I haven't had lunch, or what's this going to mean for me? And they almost talk themselves into a panic. Mm. But a lot of the time, these people are very, very carbohydrate dominant eaters. Okay. And I want to stress again that what happens when we eat carbohydrate is we we start this this process of elevating blood sugars, elevating insulin, dropping blood sugars, dropping insulin. Okay. So postprandially, which is after we eat, 
there's always a dip in blood sugar and therefore insulin when you've had a big carbohydrate-rich meal, okay? And now we start this process of going through it. Now, with you, Kerwin, um, you're very well fat-adapted, okay? And you also have got a high rate of keto adaption. So your body has learned over time, well, this is what we can do. This is how we function well. And your relationship with your body, you listen to it, you observe it, and you do what it wants. So when you say, you might say, hey, Kerwin, you know, that's not good. You shouldn't do it. I actually wouldn't say that because if it works for you and it's working well, that's the answer. Mm. You know, if you are efficient and you feel well, that's always the answer. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm simple guidance. Do you know what I mean? I'm not necessarily, um, this is right, this is wrong. Anyone that, that tries to tell you with any nutritional regime that like, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do, stay away from them. Mm. Okay. Uh, it doesn't work that way. And with people, it doesn't work that way. Now, what happens with fasting, um, which is what you're doing, is, and particularly when you start using exogenous ketones, which you're also using, what happens is, is that we start to increase the rate of mitochondrial biogenesis, which means that we, we produce more mm. of those little energy Yep. units inside our cell, which make ATP, which is essentially our, our energy. That's what we use for energy. Okay. So by going through that phase, not only do we increase our autophagy rate, so our cellular detoxification and our body's you know, turnover of cells, but what we do is we increase the amount of these mitochondria we have. And this is what happens with athletes as well. So when you've got really hardcore, particularly um, cardio-dominant athletes like boxers and runners and, and these sorts of people, they have got more mitochondria than the average person, mm. okay? Which is the reason why I could never make sense, particularly of boxers over the years, I could never make sense how they were so efficient when I'd pull their diets back and see they're only on like 1,300 calories. <laughs> how can you train four hours a day and only have that many calories? And it all comes down to the fact of their cellular efficiency response. Yeah, right. Okay? So the body is always looking to adapt, once again, to what you you tell it. Mm. So when you, when you give the body a meal, you're giving it an order, effectively. You're telling it what to do. You're telling it what hormones to upregulate. You're telling it what hormones to downregulate. You're telling it exactly what it needs to do. So we can't then get upset when our body, you know, does what we asked it to do based upon the food because yep. we never asked the question. Yep. You, know? you are asking questions. And so when you start to go through fasting protocols, like, like I'm talking real life now, like an intermittent fast yep. rather than just a full <clears throat> fast, when you go through an intermittent fast, well, firstly, you're increasing your brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is a, um, a compound which basically increases our memory and recall. Okay, So when you start talking about, hey, when I fast, I, kind of, I just feel like on mentally, that's because of this BDNF, which is upregulated mm. when you're in a fasting state. And that's one of the great things for business people with intermittent fasting. Um, and like I've always said about intermittent fasting, and like I said to the K2ers when I uh, lectured there um, a couple of months ago, was intermittent fasting, effectively, it's just nutritional flexibility. Mm. You know, like who doesn't want more flexibility? Um, any business person that I know who I put on intermittent fasts, at first they're a bit scared, right? Because it's awkward. It's like, hang on, for the first time now in like 40 years, you're telling me I can't get up and have my Cheerios? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's breaking habit. Yep. And breaking habit is a little bit traumatic yeah. because it takes us out of our comfort zone, right? But when they get into this process of- hang on, 
I'm now getting up. I'm feeling well. I'm waking with more energy than I've ever had beforehand. And I'm able to like actually get up and be out of the fucking place an hour earlier and get an hour more work done. What they notice in their business is exponential because mm. they either get an extra hour or more in their day or they get so much more done early, you know, that they knock off early and go and have a surf or yep. go rock climbing or something. You know what I mean? So, you know, this is the whole four-hour work work type thing. It's all about, like, get more efficiency, get more done now. Yep. Don't have a fucking half-ass eight-hour day. Have a really good, you know, half-day type scenario or be as efficient as possible for eight days, eight hours and get more done. Have a longer holiday when you go away with your family. But- you know, effectively what's happening for you is you're fat adapted, okay? And when you fat adapt, you get into this process of being able to generate low levels of ketone bodies from your liver. So it's basically taking free fatty acids inside your fat cells and liberating ketone bodies from this. So rather than eating carbohydrate, which gives us sugar and sugar, which then enters the Krebs cycle and gives us ATP, what we do is we just go through a more complex chemical process now where these ketones are converted to acetyl-CoA and that converted to coenzyme A and then coenzyme A enters the Krebs cycle and gives us energy. So mm. at the end of the day, it's all the same fucking thing. Yep. It's all energy. Do you know what I mean? It's just about what process are we going through to create it yep. and what hormones are we optimizing in order to make that happen? Is all energy created equal? Like, you know- is No. Because we, we talk about calories, you know, all yep. calories are different. Yeah. So will the quality of where that energy or- originates from determine the quality of the energy? Of course. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And even looking at carbohydrate. Uh, and now I'm not a low carber, just so you know. Yep. You know, like I intermittent fast and have for a very long time, but I have quite a high carbohydrate intake. Yep. Uh, my body does very well for it, but I use it in a uh, carb backload method, which works really well for me. Train later in the day, carb backload with my evening meal. I'm always lean and fit, feel good from it. Um, and then get up the next day and don't eat again until one o'clock. And once again, very well fat adapted, but on a high carbohydrate intake. Um, when you start looking at carbs though, so I don't want once again, people to be scared of carbs because there's nothing to be scared of, but you're asking about the, the, the quality of that energy. So if I get up and have, you know, like- I guess what I'm trying to contrast here is, you know, if I'm going to consider being either, you know, carbohydrate, use carbohydrates for energy, yeah. or if I'm yeah. going to become fat adapted and use that yeah. for energy, yeah. what's the difference? Well, you're burning double the calories mm. from the fat. So you're ingesting double the calories, you're giving double the calories, yeah. um, but you're not requiring insulin to metabolize it. Yeah. Okay. And so insulin is- And a- plus you're also getting these other benefits of, you know, the brain clarity. Brain function. And, yeah. Exactly right. You know, and- Lower levels of inflammation. And every, every time. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that's a big kicker, isn't it? But, you know, insulin is really problematic because- it's it's a prolific hormone it, it grows things <laughs> okay so you know like um cancer cells have a five times greater uptake of glucose than any other cell in your body you know so if you find out you've got cancer the very best diet you go on is a ketogenic diet mm. okay because it will starve the the growth of that malignant tumor yeah and that's where things like ketosis and ketogenic diets are so good if you look at uh, things like seizure disorders and whatnot there is nothing like a ketogenic diet and as a matter of fact the ketogenic diet is really the only like medical grade diet ever you know it's been used since the 1920s to control such symptoms without the use of medication so um, when you look at carbohydrates so just as an energy form we'll just look at the high and low glycemic effect of it so if i get up and have you know three quarters of a cup of oat groats okay so um, not uncle toby's rolled processed oats if i get the actual whole oat here and i cook that up and i make that into a nice tasty porridge um, versus getting up and having um, you know three wheat bix with milk 
as an example, I've got a very, very different burn with that carbohydrate, even though they're both carbohydrate dominant mm. meals. One will give me a nice sort of slow, continual blood sugar elevation. Therefore, a slow, continual rise in insulin won't drop me on my ass you know, at the sort of two-hour mark like the other one will. And the other one, yeah, will give me this kind of, you know, instant gratification, quick hit, and then down I go again. And at that point, my body will give me an order. What will that order be? More Feed energy. me. Yeah. yeah, give me food. Or yep. give me something that'll that'll energize me. So it'll either be looking for caffeine, it'll be looking for you know a sweet drink, or it'll be look for a, a, a you know a, a little lolly, or it'll look for a meal. And so once again, this is where people have to beg that question: Well, what do I need right now? What's the rest mm. of my day look like? And what have I done leading up to it? So yep. I always carb load after I train. You know, I've got reduced glycogen stores. I've got higher requirement for uh, for suppressing um, a. Um, uh, a protein complex called AMPK, which is keeping me in a very catabolic state. Yep. I don't want that anymore. Carbohydrate helps with that. So carbohydrate does many, many, many good things for athletes. Yes. Okay. So when you're taking the average business punter though, how athletic are they? So nine times out of 10, they're not very athletic at all. As a matter of fact, they're generally, yeah, sorry for the judgment guys, but they're, <laughs> they're generally a yep. bit overweight. Yep. You know, they haven't trained for a long time. You know, they've got you know, low back problems. <laughs> they can't run around with their own kids very well and chase footballs for, for too long. Once again, sorry for the judgment, but it's just what I see over and over and over and, and over I, again. And I hear it and I see it as well, but I just find the irony is in output. Yeah. Because, you know, as business people, you know, we live and die on our ability to produce outcomes, on our mm. ability to produce a return on you know, yeah. the efforts and the energy that we have. And yeah. the more energy, the more effort, the, you know, the greater levels return. And just watch your business go to shit when your yeah. first when your first pathology yeah. gets thrown on you. You know that you know those those vague symptoms of being unwell, mm. <laughs> that that vague sort of quality of life that you haven't looked at for the yeah. last 10, 15, 20, 25 years, when that actually turns itself over into one of those pathologies, which now yeah. is able to be seen via a scan or via a set yeah. of bloods, for instance, watch how fast you take your eye off your business. Yeah. You know, because now our mortal coil gets pulled on, doesn't well, it? Well, I think it was the Dalai Lama who said, you know, I, I don't understand the Western dilemma. You know, they, these men and women spend all their life trying to make money and then they spend, all, spend their all their money trying, trying to get, get Again. Yeah, well, I again. love that. He's been all great. their health trying to make money and all their, all their money trying to get their health back. Back again. So we've talked a lot about intermittent fasting. We should probably give people some, you know, some practical structure. What is intermittent fasting from a, from a diet perspective? So just nice and simple. It's not a diet. Okay? Yep. And so effectively, um, anyone listening doesn't even really need to change their diet if they don't want, even though I would. Yep, great um, frame. You know, people don't have to change anything. And I guess, once again, that's just taking that fear away. But intermittent fasting is essentially uh, an eating... Um, protocol where we are either working between fed states or fasted states. It's as simple as that. So um, there are various different types of um, intermittent fasts. Um, The prime one that most um, doctors who are into this stuff, which is not many of them, but those who are, will generally use a thing called the five and two, which is just two days a week of a heavy caloric restriction. Okay. Once again, to give the body a rest, Mm -hmm. you know, to give the digestive process a rest. And that's important for people to realize that it never gets a rest, mm. does it? You know, you're you know, you're either eating, digesting, detoxifying, excreting, absorbing. You're always doing something, and so the benefit of a five and two is 
two days a week, you go from eating normal to eating 500 calories in that day for a woman and 600 calories in that day for a man. And it becomes relatively easy to do. And I think that's why a lot of doctors go for it, that it gives better patient compliance. Yep. Not my favorite at all. Yep. Uh, I don't find it gives as fast a result. Agreed, yeah. But, but it is really good for compliance. And when you're looking at like the average person, yep. you know, it's always 80, 20. It's a good gateway. It's a good, good it introduction. Well, it's a good start. You're yep. right, you know. Then, then you're looking at uh, what we call the 16 and 8, which is probably the the most preferred method mm. by most practitioners. Once again, still has good compliance, um, gives much greater result for the average person uh, and has a lot of science also to back it up. So this is where we are fasting for a 16-hour period, which also includes our sleep period yep. and we're eating for an eight hour period so for me you know um, we do- should point out that doesn't mean you're eating for eight hours solid no that's right it just means you have a that's window right. from yep. when you you choose to exactly eat exactly right and the the thing to remember though is even without taking that choice away mm. if people wanted to eat for eight hours it will still have a, a good effect for that's them that's a good point okay yeah. so you know what you find though is when I get people who are a bit terrified of the whole idea, I say to them, just eat for eight and don't eat for 16. And I let them eat whatever they want in that eight-hour period. Mm. And this is, once again, just allowing them to come to terms with a new habit. Yep. Taking that stress away, taking the fear away, just realizing I'm not going to die. Okay, it's all, That's what it's about for <laughs> yeah. a lot of people. Yeah? I'm yeah. not going to die without doing these things in this period. And so for those people, they can do that. But once again, as an effect of this increased mitochondrial biogenesis and, and, and increased you know, um, BDNF and cognitive function, what you generally find is is that people don't want to eat as much. Mm. So you also get you know pretty heavy reductions in a hormone called ghrelin, which is a gut-mediated hormone, which tells us we're hungry. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is once again the benefit of ketones. You know, so when you're in a keto-adapted state, we get a suppression generally, most people, uh, of this hormone ghrelin, which is the the relationship between our gut and our brain saying, feed me. Mm. So what you'll find at first when people start intermittent fasting on, say, a 16 and 8, is they'll get to 1 o'clock, they'll feel like their throat's being cut, and they will just want to mow anything in sight, okay? But as they move through this process, you find so many people, it'll be three, four months into it, that'll get to 1 and go, Oh, it's one. It's mm. time to eat now, you know? So it's just an adaptation process. And, you know, it's like anything. If you're going to, um, you know, get your car turned into, you know, go from, from petrol to gas, there's a, you know, an adaptation process. There's a conversion that has to happen to make this happen, yep. you know? So we might find that our petrol engine, our big V8 Land Cruiser or whatever, doesn't run as effective uh, on the gas but it runs for a shitload longer and, mm. and, and we still feel well in it. Um, might not have as much torque, as much grunt, as much get off the line as what the petrol does when we first use it, but it's far more efficient and it works better for us and it's much cheaper at the Bowser. So we go through the process. When it comes to a, a, a fat adaption though, which is happening now in this fasted state, it's just our brain now having to re-regulate the message. And it's ba- the message is basically saying, all right, we're expending more than we're ingesting now. This is abnormal for us. How do we adapt to it? Okay. What do we need to do? So the first port of call is the body will go into a process called glycolysis. And in this state, it'll just seek to break down the glycogen that's in our liver and our skeletal muscle, a few thousand calories generally. Um, and it will want to just tap that back into sugar. Okay. Because it's the fastest way of getting sugar into my bloodstream now, because that's what I'm used to burning. Mm. Okay. So, you know, people will 
generally have those first few days because of this process until they burn that glycogen out. We're still quite carb adapted now and the body's still using carbs for energy even though we're not feeding it, yep. we're feeding it differently. As we advance through this process, um, the brain literally scratches its own head you know, and says, well, hang on, you're not feeding me at this time of day. I don't have enough glycogen as a reserve. Where do I where do I get energy from now? And this is when we get into this gluconeogenic mechanism where the body will start to look at using fats as an energy option, okay? So fat is always an energy option. The, the body's always looking at what am I going to do if, you know, World War Three happens right now and I don't eat for two weeks. And this is why the body can go without food for a couple of weeks, no problems. Can't go without water that long. Three days, you'll go without water till you're dead, you know? But the body can go without food. And the whole time this is happening, it's just turning everything else that you've got, your fat, your muscle, broken down red blood cells, just everything, just converting it all into sugar, okay? But the benefit of fat here is it can bypass this process and the fat itself will get turned into these ketones. And the ketones then go through a process of supplying ATP. As a matter of fact, more of that than you're getting from blood glucose. So it just gives our body a state of efficiency that it can't, it just doesn't get through blood sugar sources. Yeah, right. And why is it that, like, that these kind of protocols are so effective in dealing in some cases with chronic disease? Well, when you're looking at chronic disease, you know, you name one and, and I can tell you right now, it's generally got an inflammatory backbone. Yep. Okay. So when you're looking at, say, any autoimmune disease. So when we when we go and get blood tests taken, Kerwin, now I've looked over lots of your bloods over the years yeah. as an example. So when we get bloods done, uh, there's two key markers in there for inflammation. One of those is called erythrocyte sedimentation rate, which is ESR. And ESR is effectively um, how fast the erythrocytes or red blood cells um, move off plasma when centrifuged and it's all to do with that sedimentation and the the higher the rate of inflammation the higher this esr rate okay the other one is called c-reactive protein which i know most people these days have generally heard but c-reactive protein is a measure of an inflammatory marker called interleukin-6 okay so when your crp is up you have got a chronic inflammatory process going on and it's driven from this interleukin-6 um, hormone. Okay. So the reason why these diets work really well is because particularly with ketones, ketones have a suppression effect on inflammasomes, which is basically a, a cellular processing, which tells the body to turn inflammation on. Okay. So it has, and this is the, this is the really exciting thing in ketone research these days. You know, you got to remember ketosis has been around since the twenties, like I said before, as a matter of fact, thousands of years, really like the Eskimos and people like this yeah. have been on, you know, keto based diets for a long time, but looking at it from like a medical grade standpoint, um, ketosis has been used, like I said, as a medical food type for, you know, a, a long period of time, specifically for seizure related disorders. But when you look at its ability, to suppress inflammation, it's significant, okay? So when people start to go on these diets, that's where the effect comes. Plus, because generally these people are eating less grain, they're having less of this omega-6 ingestion, and as a result, their omega-3 to omega-6 essential fatty acid ratio rate will self-correct, and that will come to a point where it should be. Grain is a really bad thing. You know, mm. grain, grain's been killing us for a long time. Uh, you know, Neanderthal man never hunted down a bowl of wheat. You know, it was, <laughs> it was just the way it was, you know? Mm. So when you start looking at 
the way things have become. You know, grain was influenced into our civilization, um, you know, excluding like China, for instance, you know, where rice has been eaten for a couple of thousand years. Once again, gluten-free sauce though. But when you start looking at what we've, you know, been able to come to now, you know, grain was cheap post-industrial revolution. You know, you grow, we got this great, you know, sun-rich country that could grow it. It was cheap to manufacture. It was easy to store. You could feed your 13 kids with it. Um, you know, it filled every bastard up and it was cheap and that was all it was. And here mm. we are now once again in, in, in you know, affluent middle to upper class society having grain breakfast lunch and dinner and as a result of this we have a really high intake of these omega-6s which are problematic um, and that does suppress the essential fatty acid ratios between our omega-5s our omega-9s you know, our omega-3s which which have anti-inflammatory effect you yeah, know? Right. so and you know you've got guys like ross walker who's a um, metabolic cardiologist down here in sydney he begs people to stop eating so much grain. And this is the angle that the paleo guys try to take. Do you know? That's mm. why they've got like a grain-free diet. They get the bulk of their carbohydrates from non-grain sources. And, you know, also the benefit we have from eliminating or, or at least reducing grain from the diet is we do get rid of those lectins and phytic acid, you know, these, you know, anti-nutrient substances in grain that will rob us of mineral uptake. Yeah, right. So, you know, there's, there's every benefit for having more fat. There's every benefit for having more protein. There's every benefit for having a lower carbohydrate ingestion. There's every benefit for dropping grain lower in the diet. And the thing to remember is when you cut grain out of your diet, your carbohydrate drops anyway. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the amount of carbohydrate in one slice of bread is the same as three cups of the broccoli you discussed before. So one piece of bread is three cups of broccoli. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's absurd, isn't it? You know, you'll have three cups of broccoli and you'll say, that's enough, thank you very much. Do you know, but you'll have one piece of bread and you'll look for the other three. So, you know, a lot of our issue is to do with the fact that we're having very, um, our, our food is not nutrient dense. And as a result of the low nutrient density and the low uptake due to shit mineral stores and the like, people are just continually underfed, even when they're overeating. Yeah, right underfed While overeating. overeating and this is why you know not you're to, seeing chronically obese people that are suffering from 100 from these from um, being underfed yeah yeah underfed and this and that's why you know like we talk about what i do um you know i'm a, a product formulator and, and i i manufacture supplements for my my company and for others but that's why my best-selling product is cell charge you know yep. which is basically putting back into the body what we just can't get through our foods anymore mm. and i can't tell you the amount of people who will have that and will find their appetite levels drop significantly and it's just because they're getting more into their cells mm. they're better fed with less food yeah do you know so and i know that's a big part of your diet you might say look i don't eat you know until four o'clock or whatever but i bet that meal you have at four o'clock is very nutrient dense i know you take things like cell charge i know yep. you use exogenous ketones yep. which are essentially a fourth macronutrient so even though you're not eating you know you're drinking yep. a macronutrient that's giving your body an energy fuel absolutely without having to feed it so, um, so one of the things I find fascinating is, uh, is uh, you know, people have cheat days, right? And yep. I'm, I, and I lo like, I love having a cheat day because it's almost like a psychological regulation. Yeah, I can go out, you know, once a week, and you know, for the two meals that I have on yeah, a Saturday, just do what you want, I'll fucking eat whatever, right? <laughs> eat whatever, drink whatever, within reason. Yeah. Um, what's interesting now, when I when I used to cheat day before, when I was on like the diet or you know m measuring calories and proteins and everything else. 
I'd always overeat. Whereas now when I cheat day, I don't. I never overeat anymore, which is yeah. kind of bizarre uh, considering I used to be- a- You find a little bit enough though, don't you? Well, absolutely. You get satiated very quickly. But yeah. what I find amazing is, you know, on the weekend I went out and I, you know, I smashed a couple of donuts. I smashed some meals. I had some sake, had some beers. Mm. And I woke up the next day and looked at me and I was like, yeah. I'm leaner. And, and I find this is- <laughs> I thought the sake's had gone to your head. <laughs> no, no, yeah, maybe I was still drunk. But no, I, and I find this and, and I've, I've found this, you know, because I've been, you know, training and bodybuilding from a younger age. Yeah. But I found when you sometimes mix up, you know, when you are in caloric deprivation on a, on a regular basis and then you do, you know, provide an excess in calories, mm. what is it that creates that ability to-, to Well, you know yourself from, from a bodybuilding standpoint, having yep. been one in the past, leading up to a physique comp, people will be low carping it for, you know, up to five months depending yep. on the person. But what do they do in that week out? In that week out, they start to water deplete. Okay, and what they because they've water loaded hard, you know, six to eight liters a day, they start to water deplete. You know, a um, couple of days before the event, the day of the event, they're completely at the point of being dehydrated. But the night before, they carb load. All right, when they carb load, it gives that volume. Okay, because it increases that glycogen store yep. once again. That's why you look better. It's yeah, it, it pumps your muscles. So I'm not up. getting leaner. Well, you're leaner by default because okay. of what you're doing 95% of the there time. There we go. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Brilliant stuff. Shannon, mate, you are a fucking wealth of knowledge, mate. You Thank really you. are. A, a, not even a, a, you're not a, you're a fountain. No, you're a fire hose of knowledge. Uh, and I love drinking at your tap. Uh, that just sounded so wrong in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> please just, don't drink from a tap. Don't drink from tap. <laughs> um, but, uh, mate, I've, I've loved having you here. And we do have, um, you know, a slight time constraint, but there was one more question I did want to ask you. Yeah. Um, and that's the importance of hydration because I honestly think that that's something that is really overlooked. Yeah. Um, hydration not- is vital. Yeah. What What is good hydration first yep. and foremost? Yep. Good. Well, that, that's, that's a difficult one. Mm. People will know, you know what? People who aren't well hydrated don't often want water. It's the strangest thing. Yeah. People who are like, oh, no, I only have like 500 mils a day. It's the, and, I, and I don't know why it is, but dehydrated people never have a lot of thirst. Mm. But what happens with these people when you start to hit their, their numbers where they need to be, all of a sudden they start finding that like two liters has gone by two, two o'clock, you know, and now they start to get to this point of being hydrated well again. So adequate, look, and there's a lot of maths around hydration. People are like, you should have like this many mils per kilo and whatever. I've never found any of that. To, to be optimal, to yep. be honest with you. Yep. Yeah, as a, as a minimum sort of, um, you know, let's say a, a 50 kilo woman, she wouldn't want to be consuming less than about 1.2 to 1.3 liters of water a day, you yep. know? So as you start to work your maths upwards from there, like us, sort of, you know, 90 kilo type men, you're looking at the need for like two and a half to three liters a day of yep. like good quality filtered water. I'm 86 kilos 86? Now. Yeah, yeah, I'm 86. Yeah, I'm 87. I've got one on you. Oof, Jesus. Yeah. So, but you get my drift. Yeah. So it, it'll it'll go up not just with weight, but yep. it'll also go up with use. So obviously athletes have got a much higher requirement. They'll generally require like half a liter of water every hour yep. um, just to stay um, hydrated based upon sweating. People who are in, you know, like I'm up there on the Gold Coast, it's it's been hot, you know, you drink more in the heat, you need more because you're sweating more. Yep. Um, so, you know, as a general rule of thumb though, for the average like business person, it'll it'll all come down to um, your lifestyle. So how many coffees you're having per day? Like every coffee you have, you, you, you're now like down a glass and a half of water mm. now which is why if you go to places like italy or france or somewhere like that when you order a coffee they give you a water with it that's just custom 
You know, when you have a coffee, you have a water. It's just a known thing. Over here, people will be three and four coffees down and they've only had like half a glass of water today, you know? So for every coffee you have, you need to be looking at that sort of glass and a half of water just in order to put back in what you know, the, the diuretic effect of that's going to be. Um, the, that's a good benefit of exogenous ketone use. Uh, it's also a diuretic, but people who will use exogenous ketones will often have it in six to 800 mils of water. So as a result, they're increasing their hydration rate just because of their macronutrient yeah, intake right. choice. Um, but I think if, if people, just to keep it real simple, simple, if people were kind of having no less than sort of 2 to 2.2 litres of water per day, that's yep. a general, general good place to sit. Um, things like uh, herbal teas count towards that. Cups of tea don't. You know, you know, yep. you know, once again, the tannins in there are diuretics. With a cup of tea, you're sort of down like half a glass of water now. Yep. You know, so avoiding too many of these these diuretic um, based substances, pre workouts, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How can we hack hydration? Is there because my in my opinion, most people fuck hydration up because they they ruin good hydration with a bad sports drink. Yeah, you know, they they put sugar in their mouth with yep. with the water that ends up you know having you know a similar effect. Is there anything we can add to our water that will increase the uptake of, uh, you know, at a cellular level of the water? Yeah, cell or- charge. <laughs> Dingo. <laughs> but also, I think it's important for people to understand the, the importance of um, the molecular health of water, yep. you know, because, you know, one of the things that I've learned from you is, you know, if we're drinking, you know, hard water, which is, you know, come out of a tap, you know, it's going to have a, mole- a molecular profile that's going to make it really easy for, really hard, I should say, for the body to absorb, yep. you know, whereas water that's been perhaps you know, filtered and had certain minerals or even remineralized in certain ways, yep. you know, it's going to have a different cellular profile that would make it a lot easier for its uptake, you know, and with a fucking hundred different you know, water filters on the market, what's what's the best water we should be putting in our body? It depends on it depends on your outcome. So, yep. you know, with water, some people are happy just to buy like a Brita filter or something like that and just like filter the microbes out of it. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Um, other people get obsessed about, you know, filtering, um, you know, toxins out that you know may have been in the pipes and things like heavy metals and stuff do you know what i mean and they're going to step up to you know like um like under bench filters twin filter systems like with you know pre-filters yep. uh and then you've got people that will go up to like reverse osmosis that are wanting to um you know reduce the total content of um solids in their water the thing with water though is that like if you're going to get real anal about it, you've asked me something that i'm passionate about here um and like if you're going to get real anal about it, there's only really one water, and that's hydrogen-based water. Yep. Um, you know, molecular hydrogen is really where it's for me. It's 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 right up there with the, the biggest advancements right now in in where science will go. And you know, molecular molecularly speaking, hydrogen is the smallest. It's the smallest molecule. It's therefore able to influence every cell you know it diffuse it's a gas so it diffuses so you know people who are serious about their water and serious about their health from a an anti-inflammatory perspective um, from a longevity perspective um, they're moving towards molecular hydrogen based water treatments yep uh, which basically put these hydrogen ions in your water uh, hydrogen obviously being a gas they do diffuse you need to drink the water within a couple of hours of actually producing it through one of these filtration systems but it's it has the the highest antioxidant rate it's also what we call a selective antioxidant so it only hunts down the damaging hydroxyl radicals that cause the major issues with cell integrity right. and uh, in doing so it also has the ability to upregulate our prime chief antioxidant glutathione peroxidase which is produced by the liver 
So, you know, for me, like if you go and buy like a Mount Franklin water, for instance, it's it's just as dead as the shit coming out of your Sydney tap water, you know. But, um, you know, the, the molecular hydrogen waters are the way to go. They're expensive. Um, but seriously, like I put four and a half to six liters of water into my body per day. I see water as probably the number one like essential thing that I put in my mouth. Mm. Um, and it's the thing I can control the best. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like I can't really control where my broccoli is grown yep. organically or not. Yeah, right. Um, I can't control a lot of the growing techniques. I can't control the soil deprivations. Uh, I can put things back in, but with water, I can actually control what I put in my body. Yeah, I like so that. So I'm, uh, I'm a big fan. And, and once again, not to stress people about it, because like these machines I'm talking about, you'll pay anywhere between, you know, like two and a half and six grand for them, do you know? Yeah. But once it's like again, a Kangen or something. Yeah, things like that. Kangen's yep. a, a good example of one company that's yep. that's doing it. There's other companies out there. Yep. If people just Google, you know, molecular uh, hydrogen water. Um, there's a whole bunch of different units you can get. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them are distributed like, just through distributors. So um, some people are okay with that. Some people aren't okay with that. Yep. But um, the the quality of the water is absolutely exponentially that far above anything else you know so um yeah you know like normal water is it's in a pro oxidative state okay so now i require those micro minerals those antioxidants in order to mop up the oxidation just from the water i'm drinking yeah right all right so where when i have a molecular hydrogen based water not only have i got a non-oxidative water i've actually got an antioxidant rich water you know so rather than having to just mop up the damage i'm doing from just another thing i'm consuming i.e water i'm actually putting something in that doesn't have the damage to begin with plus gives me the molecular hydrogen which will help with the disruption of other toxins that i'm getting environmentally yeah right i, I realize it's a really um complex discussion as yeah. well and, and uh, like always i um, keep myself available to any audience um, well that's what i was going to go next like because obviously we've talked about cell charge an incredible product i've been using it for years but for people if they want to find out more about cell charge if they want to find out more about you and yep. you know because i know you you know you 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 not only have your own podcast the traveling wellness show yep. which is fantastic you also have you know you do consults with people all over the world i do so how, how can people find out more about you how so this is way to contact me yep. it's just direct email which is shannon at shannon Brent Brenton.com. So yep. Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-O-N, Brenton, B-R-E-N-T-O-N.com. Um, I always reply to everyone. So anyone who's got any specific uh, questions about anything related to today or would like to organize an appointment, I do all that myself. Anyone overseas, I do Skype consults. In Australia, I do phone consults and they all work really well. Yep. So I can set people up you know, on any sort of parameter protocol, um, put them in contact with the right people if they want a water machine or whatever. I can help people, all that sort of stuff. Um, if anyone's got any existing complaints, that they would like help with once again that's done under clinical consultation because yep. I have, obviously have to do a fairly um, thorough um, case history um, yeah I've got the Travelling Wellness Show podcast available on iTunes and all the Android apps and all the rest of it um, people get some really cool stuff on there um, Travelling Wellness Show on Instagram and Facebook and um, yeah just flick me a like on Facebook too Shannon Brenton um, happy to uh, befriend anyone who's interested in health and, and help people along their journey uh, and you are l really one of the top in your field, mate. So I appreciate the time you coming all the way from the Gold Coast uh, yeah, to be with us today, mate. Thank you so much, Thank brother. you, Kerwin. Thank you, audience. Thanks for listening and uh, here if you need help. Brilliant. 
There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews. Make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray.